Greetings, I'm Sonia Brooks, the Song Bee, and this is The Vibe Juice. Everything's gonna be alright, gonna be alright, gonna be alright. And it is the month of April going into May. And we're talking about some vibe juice, vibe juice today. Hello, hello, I know you miss me, cause I miss you too. This is Song B. Song B singing in your ear and I. So welcome, welcome back. I'm I'm glad to be back, y'all. Sorry for the long hiatus, but listen, she's here, she's Claire, and I'm glad to know you're near. Welcome to the Vibe Juice. And Ali R. Rashid here, your brother, the professor. <laughs> Happy to be present and alive. I know, so happy everything from, what, New Year, Easter, Hanukkah, I don't know, everything. Kwanzaa. (laughs) Kwanzaa, yeah, we passed all that, so yeah, but but, uh, welcome back, and uh, happy going into May, shoot, Cinco de Mayo, (laughs) you know, all of the holidays, so what you been up to, brother? It's been a few months. How you be? Uh, I be's excellent. Uh-huh. Um, I got uh, stripped down by one employer who claimed that they could not work with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't indicate who and why and all of that. Life changes. But uh, I am now the uh, Alameda County, well, I'm director for Alameda County Programs mm. for Centerpoint, Inc. And Centerpoint does what? Centerpoint provides a huge number. That One, they're 50 years old. Mm. Two, they provide a large number of programs for people in prison and leaving prison. Okay. Okay. So they work but with a lot of the reentry po- population. A lot, lot of the reentry population. But they also uh, operate a day reporting center in uh, Oakland at thirty three thirty three Telegraph. Uh huh. So that thirty fourth Telegraph. And day reporting does what does that mean? Day reporting is a, a refuge for those on parole, mm-hmm. and it gives them a place to go to check in, to do their reporting to their parole officer. Oh, really? So right there at the center and. It's a, a very interesting approach because we have breakfast every morning, five days a week. Okay. And after that, the activities for parolees begin. Um, it's, it's, it's really, in, in the times that we live in, I think it's critical that we provide support services to those that are in the system. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So this is like life after lockup. Now I say that in, in a little bit as a pawn because there is a reality show. <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah. Are you familiar with the show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever watched it? Uh, I haven't watched it. Okay. You know, well, I it is definitely quite the reality of it. popular. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really more about love after lockup. And right. the truth is these are... Uh, 
people that are actually making hookups, you right. know, while they're in. And then when they come out, what happens? <laughs> what happens? It's, yeah. it's busy. So what we have is center point is what happens here. <laughs> well, the, the, the beauty of it is this mm-hmm. one in these days and times, I think it is ultra critical that we continue to provide the support services that people need to reestablish themselves in society. Um, there's so much focused on preventing that, that it's important that we do what we do. When you say preventing, point. like preventing someone from coming out of prison and entering back into society or just being able to. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, see, the, the reality is this. When you get out of prison and they give you a little funky $20, $40, mm. whatever they give you, it's mm-hmm. bullshit. But when they give you that, maybe really, maybe you had a, um, a what's the maximum that you can get go in there with, <laughs> or is it just gone? It's gone. Forget it. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> um, the reality is, for most people coming out of incarceration, is that it's probably one of the most traumatic reentry processes a human can experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. because you're 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 not considered human number 1. Mm-hmm. Number 2, you're not considered a citizen. Mm-hmm. Um but for recent legal changes, most ex-felons can't vote. And that that Isn't that is that uh, let me ask you a question about that. Is that based on the state that you're in that law? No. Is that federal law? What what has happened is that most states Mm. have adopted the the position that once you complete whatever your probation or sentence or parole was, that you are thereby qualified to vote. So, for example, people in, in jail can vote. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, in Alameda County, talking specifically, mm-hmm. there are, and I, I, I don't want to be too far out of line, but I believe that in Alameda County, there are probably ten thousand plus ex felons, okay, who are qualified to vote. That's okay. a large pocket of votes. Wait a minute. You said how many again? 10,000. Okay. Now. That's while they're in. No, no, no. I'm talking about those that have completed their processing. Okay. They're no longer on probation. They're no longer on parole. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. This is the law then that that allows them. That allows them to vote. Is that based on what? 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 State law changes. Okay. That's what I want to know. But it hit like a wave. Okay, mm. so numerous states did it in in a short time period. Like the reality within the last is, ten years or more, probably last five to seven. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and I could be wrong; it might be ten, but mm-hmm. I believe it's closer to five to seven years. Okay, but the reality is that a population that had been written off 
to hell with them. Forget them. Mm-hmm. They don't count. Mm-hmm. That population is back in play. And that means that not just Alameda County, but most counties need to look closely at their ex-felon population. Mm-hmm. If they can vote, then they can participate in electing those that represent the the broad citizenry. Um, for example, in Alameda County, where I've worked for a number of years, 20 plus, there are pockets of unemployed, of, of ex-felons mm-hmm. who do not know that they have the power to vote. So wait a minute. So you're saying when you said earlier, the statement that there's a certain number of, of prisoners in Alameda County that can vote. Yes. Not while they're in prison. Yes. There, there are people voting inside. Really? Yes. Really. See, this is, these are the things <laughs> that those outside of, those that are not involved in the ex-felon community, mm-hmm. those that are not involved in providing services mm-hmm. to the ex-felon mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. may not be aware of. But the reality is, is that there were ballots deli- de- delivered to prisoners in Alameda County jails. Wow. So this is interesting because to now when you said this, this is something that I, I never was clear about this. I never knew you you could not have told me (laughs) that ballots were delivered because I, I always think about all the Karens and Kyles of America that, you know, just uh, flip their wigs about, you know, that there was voter fraud and we'll get into that a little later. You know, where that stands today with that big lie. Yeah. We which most of us knew. Anyway, uh that if they were aware of this, that they would do everything in their power to take that away. Well, they've tried. Mm. You know, the reality is there have been serious legal efforts to block ex-felons from voting. voting. Mm -hmm. But when you have a state law that gives that power Mm -hmm. to those that have been convicted and have completed their process, then you really don't have much of a leg to stand on to oppose it. Because what it means is, for example, in the Latino community, the black community, the white community, the Uh, other people of color communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are people who are participating in civil society. Mm. They pay taxes. Yeah. They work jobs. They buy homes. They do all that shit. (laughs) So why the fuck can't they vote? Wow. And it reflects a change in the perception of ex-felons. There was a time that people were... I don't even think felons know. <laughs> a lot of them don't. Yeah. But but that's that's why it has potential political impact. Now, here's a question. And we're on our Did You Know session. Because uh, if you're listening to this, I'd sure like to hear your comments about, about this vote, voting, the ability of ex-felons to vote. 
are felons to vote, you know, that are uh, in prison. Now, I don't know if other counties exercise that in the state of California. Yes. Really? All 58 counties have been made aware legally. Okay. 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 And that's why you have a number of issues going on with voting that people don't understand that that that's you're looking at a new pocket of voting constituents. Hmm. So now whether it's potentially 10,000 okay. in Alameda County mm-hmm. or potentially less or more in other counties, the reality is the polit- political system is not accustomed to accommodating a new group of voters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They think they have everybody. Uh, and they don't. And they don't. And that means that people that have been made, have been programmed to believe that they no longer have a role to play, do have a role to play. Hmm. And those are men and women that are parents, grandparents, you know, yeah. uh, the breadwinner for their right. family. Yeah. Um, they do, they pay taxes, they, they work, wow. they do all of that. You know, what's, it's so mind-blowing to me because I'm just thinking about how many uh, people, probably men and women, particularly, in, you know, amongst African-American uh, uh, formerly incarcerated persons that I used to counsel and credit and so yeah. forth. And this whole idea about having the power to vote and can vote, so many people, I'm telling you, were clueless that they could even vote. Yeah. And and the beauty of it is that in local elections, this means that those that are running for city council seats, those that are running for county supervisor seats, those that are running for various other offices, need to be aware that this is a part of the voting population. So your old views about ex-felons, your old views about what they should and should not be allowed to participate in Mm -hmm. is gone. All right. So, okay. So if you're coming out of prison and you've been incarcerated for, you know, whatever number of years, um, you know, be it three or be it 30, and you may you have the right to register if you're not registered to vote. Exactly. Yes. So having a former uh, record, mm-hmm. prison record, does not prevent you no. from having the right to vote no. in the state. Of and California. there are and and you know to be fair to everyone listening, there are details you know, that have to be met and and reviewed and determined whether or not you fully qualify. But as a new day for the electorate of the state of California, these are people that have not been counted. No one's considering them. No one thinks of them as important. And the reality is they are important. Absolutely are. And that's why I that's why I think the change came about because 
You have people that have children, they have grandchildren, they own homes, um, they own businesses. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are a vital part of the citizenry of this state. Right, right. To tell them they can't vote because of a past conviction is crazy. Wow. Yeah, I always thought it was crazy anyway because, (laughs) I mean, if you paid your restitution... To you society. did everything you're supposed to do. So why now you let you know you're releasing? You're just trying to function and and live on the outside, you know. Yeah, and, and be survive. a part of the electorate, right? And yeah. then part of that, you know, and it's just like uh, someone going to because when I was doing business lending and um, you know on a, on on a small scale, but helping more independently, helping people uh, to you know, start up their businesses and get access to capital. And I recall, you know, anything that, you know, particularly we're working, I'm talking about working with people who didn't have maybe their credit and, and assets weren't as, you know, credible or, you know, significant. So, uh, it made it, you know, to a general standard lender is, is questionable, but, you know, so then when you have to get a guaranteed loan, which means that uh, the SBA or the government is guaranteeing the loan, which is reducing the risk of the lender that the funds will not be paid or, or will be paid back. Um, I know that there are additional set, particularly on a federal level, if it's an SBA yeah. loan of hoops and, yeah. you know, the state has forms that you, that has to be completed, but with the federal government, it's like lengthy hoops yeah. that will, you know, yeah. so you better. In order to qualify. To qualify. That's right. Yeah. But that's, that's why the legal changes. And, and I would tell people that if you want to know how significant this is, ask yourself this question. Why has none of this been front page news? It, it it clearly wasn't on I mean, nobody's that, bullhorn. I, I mean, tell you that. <laughs> why wasn't these developments front page news? Okay, because it affects millions, millions, millions of people need to know that they have the full legal right to vote. Right. Millions across the nation, but just in the state of California we, alone. Millions. Millions. Okay. We, I, mean, <laughs> I, I can guarantee you, and I am assured, there are many people, be it millions, but just clueless and unaware. They're, they're not woke to that. And they're clueless on purpose. <laughs> okay. That's what I would encourage people to keep in mind. Okay. Yeah. None of this is secret shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When a law passes in Sacramento, it's not a secret. There are millions of organizations that have tried to get the word out. If you want to know why major employers, major employers, Home Depot, um, other major employers no longer are concerned about the question about whether or not you had a felony conviction. Hmm. Why? Because it no longer has the power that it used to have. Oh, aha, aha. Aha. That's powerful. Did y'all hear that? Hear that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So 
if if I am hiring people who are ex-felons and they are being hired and recruited and trained like everybody else, mm-hmm. then what's the point? Mm. And it's, it's just interesting that, I mean, major employers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, East Bay Mud, um, Alameda County uh, in various positions and departments, um, there have been a number of major employers who no longer is that felony conviction question relevant to their process. Why? Because everything's changed. (laughs) Well, here, here. So that just goes to show you that there is not only can you find love after lockup, (laughs) there is voting and life. (laughs) Yeah. Even work, y'all, after lockup. So uh, Derek and Monique, I hope, Derek, you go on out there and get you a job. Now, love, love after lockup or life after lockup. This brother, Derek, I believe the last name is Warner. He uh, said that he worked in the prison. Now, I'm not sure if he was there five years or what, three or five, but he came out with a check, a $9,000 check. He said it was money he earned May have been. in the prison. May have That's been. pretty doggone amazing. But that that was probably a specific program. And or the reason hustle I say money. That, Can you earn hustle money like that? Mm, no, because the prison really. ain't going to give you no check yeah, like that. It ain't going to give you no hustle money check but but what I will say is this uh, I started out in the federal prison system at 16 cents an hour okay 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 when I made it to a dollar an hour there were other inmates that were like well man you you rich you know blah 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 yeah a dollar an hour yeah but the reality is is that you have people in the prison system who are slave labor. And I say that because yes, yes, I say I, that I believe because that. Yes. they are producing things that are being sold by major corporations. Retail, right. Okay, or major whatever. corporations. And this has been and going on for all, but the, the, isn't that the whole issue that uh, I can't remember who the advocate person was, but for many, many years, historically, it has been known that slavery uh, or prison was the second slavery. Yeah. That's it. Of course. Right. But I mean, but I mean, the, the, I'm just pointing out that the reality for most people in the prison system, the state prison system or the federal prison system, earn pennies. Pennies. Right. Per hour. Wow. Pennies. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when the guy offered me 17 cents an hour, he really felt like he was doing something. Wow. So just think about it. There'd be no need to send anything overseas if you could do that here. (laughs) You know, get uh, work and productivity based on pennies an hour. That's why it exists. Why go overseas? That's why it exists. That's why all all of the major electronic tech type corporations they all well let me say this the vast majority of them have contracts and arrangements where 
prison inmates produce their products that are sold in the marketplace. Mm. Okay? Mm. So now, do they give price breaks because they only paid a dollar fifty an hour to the person that produced mm-hmm. something you just bought mm. at Best Buy or at other retailers? No. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if, you know, even those products manufactured, if they say American made, even. Well, they probably do. Mm-hmm. And they probably advertise it under the general guide. But that's only if it gets to retail. It could be other products yeah. that are well, sold I mean, business to the, business. The, we the, wouldn't know. The most, I believe, and I can't, I don't have irrefutable evidence mm-hmm. yet, but based on my exposure and my experience, I believe that a lot of the little gadgets that we buy, uh, a lot of the shit you need for your computer, a lot of the shit you need to do a podcast, a lot of the equipment is produced, the components of it are produced by prison inmates. You think? Because I know a lot know. of this mess comes straight from China. Oh yeah, yeah. Who's but that, but see, but that, the market that's on one of the. It's interesting that you would say that mm-hmm. because one of the things that the opponents of China dominating the global economy, one of the things they say all the time, is that we have to fight back the best way we can. Right. So therefore, you know, we only pay a dollar seventy five an hour. There it is. There it is. Instead of twenty one <laughs> or thirty. How else can you be competitive? Okay. That's it. Because it's all about domination. Yeah. So that that's, you know, one of the situations. Wow, well there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. But more than anything is that your dollar vote can be really at the ballot. Yes. Okay. On all things. And that's just how heavy and deep that is. But that's how, you know, living in the state of California has, it might be expensive, but there are the benefits. And speaking of states, let's jump from the West to the deep East. (laughs) That means going Southeast. DeSantis, your boy. Oh, brother DeSantis, uh, you know, he has his britches in a bundle. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of that has to do with um, don't say gay. Don't say gay. And he's fighting with Disney. And whoo, there is uh, the whole the whole state's got its bloomers in a bundle because because of DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, so just this week, the Florida uh, legislature passed a bill that eliminates Disney from operating the legal setup that allows them to operate operate as an independent government. Wow. And which was, and I don't think most of us was even aware of that. Uh, many people, you know, just take it for granted that Disney had this setup from years ago. Well... It's important, and I'm not speaking as a Disney, a pro-Disney guy, 
But what I want people to know is the history. Mm-hmm. That's that's. Thank you for bringing okay. that up. Look at the history. When this deal was negotiated, 30, 40 years ago? Yeah, and I and, think it was Reedy Creek, 1967. Yeah, but when, when the deal was negotiated, nobody really gave it credit. Mm. Or, or, or let me say this. <clears throat> nobody really spoke about the power that it granted to Disney. When they set up this special district, okay. uh, they call us uh, uh, Reedy Creek was a special improvement district, which of which right. I'm familiar to a, a degree because I served 12 years on a district uh, here, which was called a community business district, Kono. And so that gave it, you're right, uh, uh, literally into law and agreed agreed within not only within the state that was created by state law, but it could be more locally controlled, allowing uh, Disney to uh, govern uh, right. its own land and uh, around the area of Central Florida uh, theme parks. So, See, and and so the thing that. I would encourage people to do. When you come upon these issues in the mass media, mm. one, always look at the history of the issue. Okay? Regardless of what I or anybody else thinks of it, you can read English. Mm-hmm. You need to read it for yourself. Because there were things in that those original agreements that now people want to say were wrong. Mm, Right, right. But Mm -hmm. if two sides are negotiating the issue and the two sides agree on something and it becomes part of their working agreement, Mm -hmm. how can you say it it only benefits one? Hmm. Because it doesn't. There's two sides to it and it's agreement. Okay. Right. And it, it, it's a reflection of the agreement of parties negotiating their relationship. Hmm. Okay? Right. So that that's an important point. Very important point. In addition to that, Disney is now being portrayed as an opponent of the state of Florida. When in reality, deliberately, 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 yes. When in reality, Florida and Disney are actually on the same sides. <laughs> well, we know that. We've always viewed it that way. So okay. that's what makes this so compelling. Right. <laughs> Is that all of a sudden it's a whole recasting of the, who the characters are. So now, allegedly... This whole movement of the chess pieces that seem to be cemented, mm-hmm. you know, the kings and the queens and, you know, yeah, see, yeah, that seem to be that that they thought were cemented isn't because Disney decided to move things around now under this don't say gay bill, which apparently has set up through gas on 
as far as the governor of the state right. on on the deal. And it's like, you know what? That that was set in law in 1967. Well, we're going to revoke it. We're basically going to burn it up because now we're pulling the rug from under you. And that's what DeSantis. I mean, this is a big fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> and because they're so anti all these things. Anti-change. Anti-change. They're not with anything that seems that that to them spells out not just LGBTQ, etc., whatever the other one is, uh, but that spells out anything that even has a hint of left in it. Yeah. It's got to go. And there and this is sending a big message not to the just to Disney, but all throughout the state of Florida and the rest of, of the country. Of the country. But this is crazy and it seems like to me he's creating a noose for himself. Well, I believe in line with what you're saying. If DeSantis actually understood how Disney ended up in the position they're in, then he would, he, I think, would be better prepared to try to change that position. Because hmm. the reality is the state of Florida agreed to all of their agreements. Right. Okay. Right. Um, nobody accused Disney of coming in to beat up the state of Florida. <laughs> and the state of Florida has actually benefited. Hugely. Okay. How much money does Disney bring in yearly? From all over, wait, the world. From all over the world and to pinpoint and to a state, the state of Florida, one state. one state, and even a district. Yeah, in the state, right? Yeah, I mean that's tremendous amount. I can't even, I can't even, you know, really count right. what that looks like. The Disney Empire itself, its value, its power, its you know, stretch across. All areas, many areas of entertainment and God knows what else. Yeah. Well, look at it this way. If we were to view a family in another state other than Florida that was considering a trip to the Disney Empire in Florida... Look how much money they're committing to spending. When you look at hotels, when you look yeah, at food, forget about all that, you okay. know. Let's not let's not lose sight of the fact that an average working class family is spending thousands, thousands, thousands. That there are very few other places they could spend the thousands. You know, it's interesting when you also look at all of the areas of industry and trades that that park existence 
from bringing all of these millions of people to that location, how all the other income and capital that runs off just throughout in other yeah. trades and in areas. Airlines. Airlines. Okay. Uh, Airlines shipping. regularly have. Cruises. Well, no, they hotel. Regularly have, they regularly have deals for packages. Disney property. Well, packages. Yeah. You know, yeah. Airlines, okay. hotel. You can pay on it all year. Transportation. You can get your hotel. Accommodations. You can get your food. You know. You can get all kind of little Gas, f- fuel. All that. Everything. All food. That. So when you attack Disney, you need to be careful. <laughs> okay? Because a lot of the sources of support for an elected official like DeSantis, a lot of their financial support comes from corporations and businesses that directly benefit Mm -hmm. from the relationship between the state of Florida and Disney. You know, when you say Disney, this is that's that's a big, big, huge Humongous. name, brand, entity, and so DeSantis Globally. got balls. <laughs> he got GOP balls. You know, <laughs> it's um, because the, the reality is, how many state governors? would knowingly antagonize and or attack mm. one of the major economic players in their state. Wow. Here's a, a fact, a Google fact. It says that uh, the impact of Orlando tourist, tourism economy, Disney is in the center. And the impact, this is from a 2019 study, by Ox, Oxford economists, that the the Orlando area of tourism generated over seventy five point two billion in economic impact for Central Florida. Billions, billions, yes, billions. Yeah, yeah, and this is who DeSantis has decided. Yeah, that he's going to go to war with. I'm going to go to war with you and remove your power over your little territory here that brings all these... There's no other place in Florida. Come on, that's that's his own planet. That's his own planet. That's his own state in a state. (laughs) And the relationship, the working relationship between the state of Florida... And the Disney Empire, as he calls it, reflects those realities. Mm. It's interesting. So Disney is also to refer to as having its, you know, uh, Florida's biggest political power. Yeah. Disney alone. So now he's decided, and it's funny I'm saying this only because uh, also 
allegedly there's a lot of internal fighting anyway with the GOP party. Now, that's a big, big ass fight for everyone to see. That's it looks like something's crumbling somewhere. It definitely is. And the reality is. Can you imagine how many other corporations have fantasized having that power, huh? Of having that kind of relationship. Ooh. With the state government. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, you know, you know that they count on you. You know, I'm sure the dollars. exactly. And that same kind of power there in the state of Florida, Florida is the same power that I would think that any corporation would love to have. Of course. Yeah. The, the contradictions that have been exposed, the contradictions that have been exposed between allegedly the government of Florida personified by Governor DeSantis mm-hmm. and the Disney Corporation, I think to some degree is a, is an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's a false struggle. Mm-hmm. At the time that the agreements between Disney and the state of Florida were worked out, there were an untold number of individuals and powers represented. Um, to now try to portray it as Disney somehow played, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. the government of Florida is, I think, unrealistic and unfair. Hmm. Right. You know, I think that everybody had a sense that they were negotiating something that was of major, major, major right. impact. Exactly. For that state. Right. And that most states would give in their eye teeth. Hmm. Exactly. even have an opportunity okay. to talk about it. Just, 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 just talk. Can we, can we, can we talk about it? I mean, right, right. Okay, let's loan a deal. So, I think that okay, uh, like Elon Musk must be like, that's what I need. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to have that. Oh, please, Come on. <laughs> please, absolutely. So, but I think that a lot of what is ha- what we're seeing happening is a reflection of DeSantis's political ambitions. What? Well, okay. So Cause I, I, and, and I, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I can't say it as if it's proven, mm. but let's face it. DeSantis is one of two, maybe three names discussed as a potential president of the United States. Right. But you've got to tell me this. What the hell do you think that he would get accomplished and gain. I mean, tell me because I'm, I'm just, I'm just like other people kind of like a little ignorant of this. So what great gain do you think that there's some huge, um, 
uh, presidential uh, donation and backing and whatever, if he does this, I mean, I'm sure in the state of Florida that there are clearly very right, extremist right wing conservatives that do not like Disney making certain changes. Right. Okay. That uh, or, or even weighing in on what they say is their politics. Well, their politics, but you know, and this is about their own doggone employees. The people out all around outside the state that are conservative extremists want to have say so about who and what mm-hmm. Disney can do and can't do. Now, I can understand to a certain degree. If property taxes are somehow impacted around the area, whatever people say, they want to have some say so. If they're paying property taxes to Disney, let's say, or something like that. But I can't see why is it any more of anybody's business if they're trying to expand the rights of people who participate and have ability to earn income there what they can and cannot do versus, you know, taking mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. minimizing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It just doesn't make sense. Well, part of the reason that many of us are baffled by DeSantis positions he takes with Disney is because of that. <laughs> this is economics, right? Good old fashioned numbers. Okay. So what happens if uh, if uh, uh, Disney is dissolved, which means that they would have to dissolve that uh, Reedy Creek district? They'd have to dissolve all of that. What what happens then? Well, one, and I think this is really important for people to understand, that's not going to happen. I mean, I I, I no no I agree I, I, with the you. Reason I, the reason I'm saying that okay is that DeSantis is doing what is forbidden, verboten Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for elected officials. He is advocating something that he doesn't really want to happen. I feel like if this is a boxing match, okay, you got Muhammad Ali and you got somebody just talking all of this big mouthy stuff (laughs) and they know (laughs) <laughs> that they're making a poss- potentially making a fool of themselves, but they're really barking louder because they want to, let's say, a big match between Muhammad Ali and uh, I don't know whoever, whoever. I won't say is George, there is there whoever. any is there anybody that can stand that ground? Right. See, and DeSantis is not the one. He doesn't appear to me. I'm not impressed that not. It doesn't matter about what my impression is, but he just doesn't. I've never got the impression that this is someone who's coming into the ring just because he did win governorship of the state of Florida, but that he's coming in with a whole lot of power. Cause I feel that's one thing about the conservatives. If they, if they haven't seen it before, they will pull the rug from under you. They'll be there for as long as they need you and use you and puppet you. And I'm talking about the Republican base. Oh yeah. They'll turn the back base. on you and say, yes. Yeah. Oh, this is no longer working for me or whatever. We used him. You know, yeah. now we don't need him. Well, He's not he, serving he can't a win anymore. against Disney. 
So therefore, no, I'm not going to support him for president. Right. Well, he's risking a lot. You know, but I think that one of the things the people that are the handlers of a person like DeSantis, I think one of the things that they're counting on is that no matter how it plays out, that DeSantis will be able to to solidify his position as being willing to go up against mega any any anybody anything mega it is I'm ready. Okay. Well, one thing, his full last. Let's just say, if it went his if it went his way, which he really don't want, this is for show. I'm with you on there. Okay, <laughs> this is for show. He don't really want that, <laughs> but he don't want this fight. But if for some reason, Disney said, okay, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I've got better, bigger and better and greater and more uh, uh, opportunities. More opportunities, you know. Somewhere else. That that will bring me a greater return on the investment. Without even the negative by downside. divesting in your the two state counties of, state in, in the state of Florida. Yeah. I think they're in Orange and Osceola County counties. But anyway, and 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 just just start pulling the plug. We got a whole bunch of plugs to pull now. Florida will no longer be America's penis. It would or America's wank wanker. It'll be America's pecker because it would shrink up. <laughs> And lose a lot of revenue and power. Yeah. It would change everything. Yeah. And there would be no replacement. No, no, Disney. no, no. No, no. There's no replacement. See, that's the thing that I'm convinced that DeSantis has not carefully assessed what's at risk here. Okay, because the reality is all it would take and just just think of this. All it would take is for a political opponent of DeSantis to play his weakness with Disney. Hmm. So, for example, Mm -hmm. what if, and this is just a what if, so don't get excited, (laughs) but what if Biden-Harris ticket got in bed with Disney? Mm. (laughs) Okay. And and well, well, if that were the case, potentially Biden Harris t- ticket would just take Florida. Potentially. Oh yeah. Well, and 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 the impact of them doing that hmm. would ripple throughout the electorate. I agree with you there. You know, if if you could see a Kamala Harris at a press conference announcing that 
some of the issues that exist in Florida with Disney Corporation, we have some alternatives to resolve them. Hmm. Alternatives. Hmm. And it could be it could be very very straightforward. Very yeah. very straightforward, simple stuff. Yeah. See, because a lot of what DeSantis is attacking Disney based on is shit that ain't even clearly established that corporations need to be listening to no fucking way. Okay. Okay. Well, he's just he's just straight out foolish because even with this talk, you know, Disney is being seduced, lured, and oh, from please, all honey. other places. Please, the whole you know, planet. To bring their, yeah. The whole fucking To put planet. their headquarters. It's like, you know, with all kind of tax incentives and all sorts of things. Bring it in. Get out of Florida. Fuck Florida. <laughs> that's, that's what, look, a whole lot of state governors in America. Yep. Like Newsom. Look, if Newsom saw an opening, <laughs> California would be the new home. <laughs> and considering that they've already got. Yeah, that's true. They've already got a certain percentage here. Hey. <laughs> but he can say, look, you thought you had it well. Hey, we'll give you Fresno, all the county of Fresno. <laughs> you, you thought you really had it swell mm-hmm. in Florida. Mm. But let me tell you what we can do. Exactly. Okay. No, really, that's real. Disney becomes the preferred destination for all of the travel agents. Okay. Everybody in the travel industry, everybody selling vacation packages to families, (laughs) working class families, they can afford them. And we can build from what you got here already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying, man. So, DeSantis, don't don't be no fool now. But it's too late. It's too late. You put your oh, yeah. foot out there, and yeah. hey, what can you say? Put his foot in the circle and get his whole foot chopped off. Well. Well, good luck, DeSantis. Anyway, we'll just move it right along. We lost a very dear, loved, beloved Harry Belafonte. On April 25th, we uh, 
uh, well, we are a very beloved uh, child of America. I would say a very, very beloved singer, actor, activist, Harry Belafonte. He transitioned on the 25th of April. He was born March 1st. In um, March 1st, 1927, in New York City. And he was a singer, actor, activist, producer, and well known for Dale. Dale. <laughs> he was uh, the child of parents who was uh, Jamaican and from the island of Martinique. Yeah. And apparently, as a child, he went to Jamaica. Uh, very often and stayed there for long periods and so uh, it's funny because I was listening to something the other day and they said that actually the Dale song which most people aren't aware of because I know I wasn't was really a song that represented uh, angst yeah and you know um, yeah yeah. Yeah. Revolutionary fervor. Exactly. In the Caribbean. In the Caribbean. Yeah. For, you know, it's like that sometimes they didn't work, make any money at all. But instead, the uh, uh, plantation owner or, you know, or the person uh, that was buying the bananas, uh, they come in and sometimes they would just pay them rum. Yeah. But they're looking for money. That's why rum was an important part of his music. Right. <laughs> so he was talking about a reality that those people that were in that system mm-hmm. understood exactly what the frick he was saying. Right. I didn't work all day <laughs> to get drunk. Yeah. I got food to buy. I got family, family to feed. Family mouths to feed. Okay. And your wine give me rum. Maybe drunk like a fool and, and, and come here and just be a buffoon and slave and work hard for you and just make, and that's probably what the term I know in Jamaican, the term rum head. Yeah. Yeah. Is a big thing. You know? Yeah. Cause they, they'll give you some rum that'll make you a rum head. Right. For damn sure. <laughs> okay. Exactly. You know, but, uh, Wow, there were so many good things. There's so many good things to say about uh, Harry Belafonte. Uh, you know, we've known him. Well, a lot of people, especially younger generations, aren't that familiar with Harry Belafonte, other than probably more later years of his uh, very uh, being outspoken about uh, politics. Yeah, politics. The reality and, of our lives. And Black Lives Matter. And, you know, Harry was a man that uh, that was just, you know, stayed active all the time. And he had something to say. And, you know, when he was very, uh, and it was good to see this from a black man. It always felt so stately whenever he came out. It's like, uh-oh, this mess and bought Harry out. <laughs> you know, so, you know, if it, has, if it brings Harry out. Uh, What's well, on? It's on. Don't think it's not. It's on. For sure. But uh, did you have a favorite, anything favorite that you loved about Harry that stood out for you? Actually, it's not 
his music. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't love and appreciate his mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. but there's a movie, Buck and the Preacher. Oh. Sidney Poitier played Buck, <laughs> and my boy, Harry Belafonte, played the preacher. The reason that this movie will always be in my heart is because, one, it's a true story. Is it it's right? A, now, yeah, that's not it's something a, I knew. It's a story about Buck, a former U.S. Uh, Army uh, guy who had been employed by the Army as a scout. Hmm. So, therefore, he developed all the relationships with the Native American communities Mm -hmm. and tribes. Mm -hmm. And Buck actually was employed by groups of former slaves moving west. Now, that Buck and the Preacher, if I'm not mistaken, I think he uh, produced, was a producer. He and Sidney Portman. Yeah, they were co-executive producers. Yes, yes. But the, the, the beauty of it is that he and Sidney portrayed real people. These are real people in our history and in the history of this fucking country. Okay? So, well, go on. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you. The thing that I was just thinking about Harry Belafonte is that, you know, there was a period where he just became disenchanted with Hollywood. Yes. And the racism. Yes. And stereotyping. And, uh, and you know, of uh, particularly of black actors. Exactly. And so he withdrew. And that's, I think, yeah. in the, probably in the 50s. Yeah. You know, late 50s. He spent a good 10, 15, 20 years not fucking with them. Right. A long time. Mm -hmm. And when he came back, the, the, the reality is that if you look at how he came back and who he came back with, he came back with Sidney Poitier. Right. Who had well established himself. He came back with Bill Cosby. That's right. Now see, that's one of my favorite movies. um, Uptown. Uptown Saturday (laughs) night. Um, But he he came back in such a way as to say, I'm back because of this. I didn't just get broke or hungry. I came back because people that I care for, people that I love, people that I trust came back. Because, you know, there's a series of movies that he did with with Sydney, yeah. series of movies he did with uh, Bill. Um, he did two or three other things. Um, but the point being that he demonstrated clearly by the quality of his work and who he worked with, mm. he made it clear why he came back. Mm. Yeah, I love the... Uh you know, the the movies that he did. So he did Bucket and Preacher, which was 1972. Uptown Saturday Night, 1974. And I'm, I'm not mistaken, I thought there was a sequel to Uptown Saturday Night that they did. 
They did another one. Yeah. Let's do it again, I think. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, um, and that was like in his, uh, they won't, I don't think they necessarily recall re- that as mid-career, but it is kind of mid-career for him at that time. And uh, and then, you know, in the latter years, he went on to uh, participate in a lot of other um, film, major film, and oh, yeah. so forth. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think, one of the things he did, oh, I am not, he played a role, oh, I'm not your nigger. Yeah. James Baldwin. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and he spoke, he had a, a speaking you know, um, cameo in that. And then I think the other thing he did, let's see. Uh, oh, and if I'm not mistaken, he was also in Spike Lee's uh, Black Klansman. Yes. As an el- elderly civil, civil rights. Uh, yeah, leader. Yeah, leader. Yeah. So, but when Harry spoke, he spoke, I'm telling you. And there's so many things that I loved him for. Um you know, and even I, I kind of remember early his early film when he was in, was it Carmen? Um, with Dorothy Dandridge. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of the name of that that movie. But uh, Carmen. Oh, Carmen. Okay. Right. Carmen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got I got a copy. I got my own personal copy at the house. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that was major shit. But you know what I loved it? Like, even when, let's go back to Buck and the Preacher. He was very, what's the word I want to say for actors? Um, you know, his role and activity, he was just very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, and he really allowed himself to be exposed. Yeah. It's, yeah, do you have any other movies? Oh, this is what I wanted to say about... Um, you know, his, uh, again, with the role of the preacher, I don't know if you remember the characters, like there was a, a, a whole free freeness and a freedom about him playing that role. He was, uh, remember the stained teeth very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, he chewed tobacco. He spat. He was just a repulsive character. <laughs> you know, that's the character he played, you know, but he was funny. He was humorous. He was, mm-hmm. you know, and it just kind of made you go real. He was real. He was just too real. He really embraced it. And it was wonderful. The earlier movies that I was referring to, he made a series of films where he with Dorothy Dandridge mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of other sisters mm-hmm. where uh, he was, uh, I think in one, he was the principal and Dorothy Dandridge was a teacher. Oh, okay. And uh, another one, he was a teacher along with a sister. Um, but the thing I always respected was that every role I ever saw Harry in, he brought himself. Mm, I yeah. The strength, you know, the 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 monolithic black man. <laughs> <laughs> was there and only a few others Ivan Dixon 
uh, Sidney Poitier. Okay. Um, a few others have managed to do that. Uh, 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 Paul Robertson. Paul Robertson, yeah, for okay. sure. You but know, and he's thing- in very, very, very esteemed company. Absolutely. The thing about, you know, even in the roles that he, when he did perform in film in later years, and particularly uh, any film that he produced, you know, he came so real. He had obviously a great sense of pride and I'm not bowing down. I am a man when that was important coming up during the late fifties and fifties, you know, and sixties that what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. Now he could have played that, you know, whatever you give me, but at the same time he could have also played that pretty boy role, black man, you know, and he did not never, he never did any of that. Never. You know, so when he brought brought it to the table and he brought it to film, wherever it is, he brought the real. Hardcore. And I really appreciate him. And, and when it really was bigger than life for me was particularly in the film Buck and the Preacher. Oh, yes. You know what it makes me, uh, it reminds me, it was around the air, if you remember, Max Julian. Yep. And and Vanetta McGee. And Vanetta McGee. And what was that cowboy film? Uh I can't remember. Uh, and, and they produced it yeah. also. Something and something. Oh. They're two names. That's right. It was it was a great movie. I'm gonna have to find that uh yeah. film. But it was around the time because those what those movies did, they educated the black community about different variations of who we are Yes, that we would have never known. We won't read anything like that oh, really no, in a book. We no shit like that in a book. Right, no. Well, they don't even allow it in a book. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a powerful time of black film at that, t- you know, around Max that era. Uh, Ma- well, it was Max Julian. Was Max but, Julian no, I, and Vanetta McGee? No, but I'm I'm trying to think of the what the name of the the characters. Okay, so we said Buck and the Preacher. Let me see. Uh, oh, Thomasine and Bushrod. Thomasine and Bushrod. Yeah, I remember it just hit me, and uh, those two movies, mm-hmm. you know, a black western movies were, you know, very they were exceptional movies. Yeah. Well, Buck and the Preacher is exceptional to his goddamn day. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And if you haven't seen it, it's I suggest a, you. It's a, uh, it's a true story. Go ahead and stream it, pay people, for it, and see it. Black people paying a black man to guide them going west. Right. And a black man who had the ability, and this is something he showed in the film. Uh, uh, Buck had the ability to negotiate mm-hmm. with the Native American community because they knew him in his former life as a scout. And they also knew what he was and what he going to do. Right, right. And uh, you know what? And that was a time in film when there was uh, uh, tons of black black exploitation, uh, black exploitation movies and but I would say that Thomas C. and Bushrod and Buck and the Preacher, I wouldn't well, I wouldn't refer it to as black no, exploitation. No. Well one, 
Both Especially, of them, uh-huh. both of them were based on true stories. Right. See, because right. that's one of the things that made what Max and uh, Vanetta did mm-hmm. so powerful. Was that they, you know, they did the research. Right. And I love it. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're not doing all that other stuff. We want to show something yeah. else. And I and I, I love it. And there's still room for a lot of those type of film. I'd love to see oh, yeah. more. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you got to bring heart to do that, to produce a project like that and do it and bring it to the film. And that's definitely, you know, God, that's definitely who Harry Belaf- Belafonte was. Oh, without a doubt. And that's not to take anything away from Sidney Poitier and his role, but right now it's about Harry Belafonte. Well, but but think about it. And this is, I, I brought this up to somebody that, that was mentioning to me that they had never seen Buck and the Preacher, mm-hmm. right? So I gave them my copy. You, you watch this. Take notes, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that both Sydney and Harry were immigrants. Both of them came well, here. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Because Harry's parents were the immigrants. Yeah, he was born I, here. I know. I'm not. Okay. That's not what I'm. Okay. Not what I'm focusing on. All right. What I'm saying is, the content of them as an individual performer, mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. They both represented the the culture, cultural influence. Of the islands. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, you're one thousand <laughs> percent okay. because they had the worth work ethics of the West Indian people, particularly that you know that came to America, and there was yeah. a very hard and very disciplined work yeah. ethic. See, and that is like that's real. Um, there's a, a flick that there's a movie. That Sidney Poitier made, where he was playing the like contested leader of anti-colonial forces in the Caribbean. Is this you said a movie? A movie. It's got the okay. hawk uh-huh. or something like that. But he was in it. Um, uh, girl um not ruby um, and by the way um i'm i'm looking up in uh, that wikipedia or whatever saying thomasine and bushrod was fictional it was probably taken but bits and pieces of true stories i would think yeah mm. well that listen they they claim that uh that buck and the preacher was fictional <laughs> Motherfucker, yeah. the goddamn history <laughs> yeah. was, you could almost read the history from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay? All right. <laughs> but um, the the fact that both of them have the Caribbean influence, mm-hmm. to me, has always been significant. Yeah, Because they I agree. came, they brought something to it. Absolutely. They didn't have to think about it. Absolutely. They were raised in it. Right. And you know what? So 
I'm going to say this is true for a lot of Americans, African Americans that have become quite successful in America Mm -hmm. happen to have Mm -hmm. either were parents, whose parents were from the Caribbean either first or they were first generation or, you know, uh, brought, raised here, but they came from, you know, with the Caribbean uh, values, morals, familial you know, uh, upbringing. And that this says a lot because there's a lot of successful African-Americans in all walks of life from politics to military all to all of it, you know, acting, the brother that even hip hop, the, the brother that, uh, I'll think of his name. He was a general. Oh yeah. Colin Powell. Colin Powell. Absolutely. Now, Colin Powell's family, family. Jamaican. Right. I have his book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that, you know what I'm saying? It, it's like, it, it, hmm, every time I scratch the surface on one of them real hardcore brothers or yeah. sisters, yeah. that's what you find. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and, it, I mean, and that might be a whole nother show to kind of take a deep dive in that. Why mm-hmm. is it so? I think part of it, too, and this is something I've had conversations with people that I know, you know, on a personal level. But anyway, is that a lot of times as uh, African-Americans who have ancestry, you know, in American slavery, you know, on, on mm-hmm. this continent and all the descendants that some oftentimes tend to take things for granted when we see other people that are black like us Mm -hmm. coming from other places and don't think that without an understanding, you know, well, they don't, they don't grasp it because they don't think of it. No, they don't think of it, but it's just even thinking about just where you are and from, you know, they don't, they don't, your moment from, you know, other than getting caught up with what the country hasn't done for me or my ancestors. Sometimes the focus needs to be shift that, what if you, just what if you imagine that you had just arrived in this country, okay, and you came from a place, and it's like, and today is your opportunity to change your life, and you've been looking for this for all your life, when you know the majority of people yeah. from where you came from William want Marshall, this opportunity. The guy that played Blackula? Yes. He he had that same kind of background. Oh, it was it's a ton of them. I can't even yeah. begin to yeah. mention. There's so many today even. Yeah. That oh, I yeah. was just amazed. It's like, wow. You know, when I hear or read or come, come across an article or something that someone has sent in social media about somebody who's accomplished something great and just, you know, graduated from air, you know, flight, flight school or whatever, whatever. Right, right. And, you know, and I read and, you know, it's like, wow, here's, here's another one. <laughs> so there's there's a lot to be said for that. But it's I think it's about looking at opportunity and focusing on opportunity mm-hmm. versus going adversity. back to where I came. Adversity. Right. Yeah. Where I came from. The so, adversity is going to be there. Right. So to me, from my perspective... I have a choice. I can either focus on the people that are stand out 
fighters mm-hmm. or I can focus on the ones that capitulated. Hmm. Right. Okay. Well, so, you know, so I just want to say, Harry Belafonte, we need you to rest in peace, rest in power. You will be remembered. Our VIP, Harry Belafonte. So, rest, King, rest. So, for that, I think that uh, this is our our comeback show, and we hope that you hung in with us and enjoyed every bit. Please write us. Please send in. You know, make sure that you support. Uh, vibe juice and I know it's been a long time and it's been months but guess what not going to make you hold your breath <laughs> so at least you, we will be back in another month if not sooner so until then hey dance jump celebrate and uh, stay strong stay powerful peace power and the ability to surprise yourself every day. Love. Work your body. Until the next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Join us again. Somebody help me! Somebody help me!